0: Morning. Morning. Let's try that again. Holy cow. Is that better? Okay. I guess maybe we should have sound checked that mic first, Alan. (laughs) Of course, I could remotely control the soundboard from up here, too. I have the ability. So how's everybody doing this morning? Good? You know, I've had a lot of you ask me this morning if I was preaching, and every time I said yes, they said, oh, good. I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> I am obviously not meddling enough if everybody says, oh, good. now nah, I'm kidding. I appreciate Danny's opportunity for me to make up for... Uh, A couple of weeks ago when I was supposed to be up here, uh, and my gallbladder decided to throw its own party. And uh, yeah, so uh, when he asked me if I could cover this week, I said, well, you know, it just so happens I have a sermon ready. So how about that? So I'm going to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And if you still have your bill bookmark, um, because I've been in Hebrews chapter 12 now, this is like the third or fourth fourth. Message from Hebrews chapter 12. You should be able to find it pretty easily. Um, While you're turning there, let me just set the set the stage, so to speak. Over the last few weeks, months, we have been talking about the awakening that must come, right? Yes? Why do we need an awakening? Let me ask a better question. Do we need an awakening? Okay, so about fifty percent of you say yes, all right, so for that fifty percent, then the question is why? because a lot of people are sleeping, a lot of people wear in the church. oh, already things are starting to get not so comfortable, not necessarily our church, you know we've got it all together we're We're a hundred percent, right. No? Hmm. Yeah, we need to remember our purpose. So the idea here that the awakening must come is not that the awake, awakening is inevitable. Danny has not been preaching that there's going to be an awakening. It's got to come. It's going to happen. No, no, no. The, the awakening must come if we're going to be the church we've called to be. Yes? Okay. Yeah. Ollie is invited to every sermon I preach. (laughs) I like that boy. The idea that awakening must come is a necessary prerequisite, say that three times fast, for the church in the West, the church in the United States, to be what we are called to be. We have to wake up. We have to start doing what we've been called to do. Now, as we've been going through this series, we have looked at a group of musts, things that are kind of necessary for that awakening. The church must renew her passion for God's Word. Okay, pop quiz. Define the church. What is the church? Oh, boy. Zach got it right. But now we're back to everybody sleeping again. Okay. So uh, uh, take your right hand, stick it in the air. Come on, interactive. Stick your right hand in the air. Come on, all the way up. Okay. Now I want you to take that hand. I want you to lower it down in front of you like this. Now I want you to take your left hand, stick out these two fingers. Okay. Come on, Timothy. You too. Okay. You still got your right hand out. Okay. Now I want you to take those two fingers. I want you to place them right here behind your thumb. Make sure you have a pulse. (laughs) We're the church. We are the church. You can put your hands down now. I see some of you are still like, Oh my God, I'm dead. (laughs) We'll deal with that later. We are the church. We need to renew our passion for God's word. Have you ever had a passion for God's word? Maybe long time ago. But it's hard when life catches up and, and things happen and we get distracted and, and we've got work and we've got kids and we've got spouses and we've got stuff, right? We need to renew our passion for the Word. We need to get back into it or into it for the first time. I'm going to stop assuming that there was a first time, okay? I'm just going to say we need to get into God's Word. One of the greatest awakenings in the history of the church was known as the Protestant Reformation. Maybe you've heard of it, right? The battle cry of the Reformation was a call to return to Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, right? As the foundation for faith and practice of the church. The Catholic Church had adopted the position of Scripture and, Scripture and church tradition, Scripture and the rulings of the church councils, Scripture and what the priest said, Scripture and what the Pope said. And the Protestant Reformation, the great reformers, stood up and said, no, that's not how this works. This is the foundation, period. Is it? It ought to be. As we return to that passion, we need to return to that new commandment that Jesus left. You remember when, when Jesus was getting ready to ascend? He said, a new command I give to you? What was it? Y'all are failing this quiz bad, I'm telling you. Love one another. We have to get back to loving one another. Now, Natalie said it this morning. Sometimes we don't like one another. But that doesn't mean we stop loving one another. What does it mean to love somebody? love's a verb do what Christ did there you go the the simplest sentence that i can use the word love in i love you right little english lesson what's the subject of the sentence i what is the object you so that means that love is what it's the verb it's the action Okay, To love somebody actively means that we want the best for them no matter what it costs us. Did you catch that? No matter what it costs us. That means even if I don't like you, if I want the best for you, it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to put up with you long enough to want the best for you. It's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to do something. I'm going to have to give something up. For you, that's what we mean when Jesus says, love one another. He said, this is the greatest, (laughs) the greatest commandment is to love God with all that you're, all that you've got, your entire being, heart, soul, mind, strength, everything that makes up who you are. And then he said, the second is like it, equal, similar, same, to love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. It's not affection. It's not affection. Affection is like the Greek word love, phileo, is affection. This isn't that word. This is an active word. This is, I want the best for you. And you know, a lot of people don't want the best for for themselves. A lot of people will push against it. Does that mean we stop? No, it doesn't. So now, as we renew our passion for God's word, we renew our love for God and for His people... Then Paul tells us in Galatians that we have to put aside the fruit of the flesh and practice the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So we put away the works of the flesh. I'm not going to ask anybody if they memorize the works of the flesh because nobody memorizes that verse. Everybody memorizes the fruit of the Spirit. But Paul says that we have to put away sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these that become less part of our lives. Now, I can go through that list and I can say, well, it's sexual immorality. That's easy for most of us to put away, right? Except right now, the biggest problem that most men in the church have deals with pornography. Uh let's see here, impurity. Well, we don't have problems with impurity, do we? I'm not gonna ask for hands. Sensuality, idolatry. Well, n- nobody in the church has a problem with idolatry. Right? We're in the south. I'm gonna step on some toes. Okay? The biggest idol in the south is the idol family. Period family we will do anything for our families whether it's right wrong or indifferent we'll do it under the guise of love even though what we do may not be the best thing for the family how about enmity we don't have a problem with enmity in the church do we anybody still have a problem with enmity if I see you shake your head that you don't have a problem with enmity, you better hope we aren't Facebook friends. Cause I know better. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Whew, man, just described my entire newsfeed. So if those are still a big part of our life, then how are we doing on love? Joy. I would love to see joy on a Christian's Facebook page or Twitter feed or Instagram account. I don't see joy. I see anger. I see bitterness. I see hatred. I see strife. So all of these things should flow out of the awakening in the church, right? So how are we doing on our awakening? Anybody? (laughs) We're not doing so good. Now, through all of these things, through all the stuff that Danny has been taking us through, it is we have to do stuff. We have to change the way we look at things. We have to change the things that we're doing. We must. We have a responsibility. You cannot live the Christian life on autopilot. It doesn't work. Cruise control doesn't work. We can't afford to carry on thinking that somehow the world is suddenly going to realize that it's lost. And they're going to beg the church to hear about Jesus. That's not how this works. We have a responsibility to read the Word, we have a responsibility to pray, we have a responsibility to share Jesus, and we have a responsibility, this is the hard part, it shouldn't be, and we're all going to say, oh, I got this part down, this is the hard part, we have a responsibility to live out lives that show the change that Jesus has brought in our life. this That's the hard part. The issue that the church has now and has had for its whole history is that those things are easy to fake. (laughs) I read my Bible every day. I do. I have a reminder on this app. And every day it pops up at noon with a verse for me to read. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day before I have dinner. Most of the time. Right? Is, is that what a Christian life looks like? I'm at church every time the doors are open. I can literally say that. <laughs> and if I'm here and the doors aren't open, I've got a key. Is that what it means to live a Christian life? I'm here every Sunday. I make sure the, the sermon gets broadcast and, and put together into a podcast on the website and, and I get the word out to people. I do what I'm supposed to do. Isn't that the life of a Christian? No. Not when I'm watching TV that's filthy. Not when I'm telling jokes that are horrible. Not when I'm angry at my neighbor. Not when I'm hateful towards somebody because of their political position. My life hasn't changed, if that's the way it looks. And here's another issue that the church has. It's really easy for me to look at those things and use them as a test to see how holy you are. Right? I would never do that to somebody. That's terrible. That leads us to legalism. And, of course, when we're doing those things in our own strength, we're doing those things because we know we're supposed to do them We don't do them out of a life that's been changed. We don't do them out of that that life that the Holy Spirit enables in us. When we don't do them the right way, then we get tired and we quit because who's going to know? Because I can tell you I read my Bible every day. You're not with me 24 hours a day. You don't know if I do or not. And so that brings me here to Hebrews chapter 12. Starting in verse 12, going all the way to verse 17. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews, roughly 2,000 years ago, wrote this letter to the Hebrew believers. And I've got to tell you, it's just as applicable today as it was 2,000 years ago. Maybe even more so. This is still part of the section of Hebrews that we've been looking at, We started in chapter 10 and we've gone all the way through until we're here and all the way through to verse 29. This whole section of the book is written to encourage us, not to beat us up, but to encourage us. If you think about the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews can be a really depressing book for a church that thinks they're doing the right thing. Because, I mean, the writer of Hebrews doesn't pull any punches whatsoever. That's why he didn't put his name on it. (laughs) I don't want people to hunt me down. Mm Mm-mm. I don't. The writer of Hebrews, he said, don't skip going to church. By the way, going to church ain't enough. By this point, you ought to be preaching the heavy things of Scripture, and you're still working on the ABCs. I'm glad Natalie is not here. (laughs) I'm not picking on the ABCs in VBS or children's ministry in children's ministry. But we got churches that are still focused every morning on you must repent, you must believe, you must confess, because most of their people haven't yet. They don't teach the heavy stuff. They don't teach Hebrews. This is to encourage us, to tell us that there's more to the Christian life. Just look at these verses for this morning. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I want to stop there for just a second. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. This sounds like somebody who's been working really hard. Somebody who's just fatigued. Somebody who's tired. Somebody who's wore out. The writer of Hebrews assumes that we're running the race. Y'all have drooping hands from the amount of time that you spend holding God's Word, reading it? Are your knees weak from having to get up and down from all the times that you go to your knees in prayer? Or do we have weak knees because we sit in a recliner in front of the TV too much? That's me. I'll own it. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Therefore, therefore, my kids have heard of this so many times, they probably hate it. But whenever you see that word, therefore, you need to figure out what it's there for. What is it linking to? Therefore, since, because, therefore, since... Rewind a little bit in the chapter. Since the discipline of the Lord, when we wander off in sin, when we seek our own will instead of His will, when we pretend to be the ruler of our universe, instead of letting God be God... Since that discipline is because He loves us, and that discipline brings maturity and growth in Christlikeness, therefore, don't chafe, don't despair, don't think that God has suddenly turned away from you because you're going through a bad time. He disciplines the children that He loves. Therefore, persevere. Lift your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Stand up straight. Remember whose child you are. Walk the straight path. Let those things, when you crank your ankle because you went wandering off of God's path, get back on the path. When your hands are tired because you haven't been carrying God's Word, you've been carrying burdens that aren't yours to carry. Drop them. Strengthen your hands. Now, none of this is possible on our own. We have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. Remember the audience that this was written to. This was not written to unbelievers. This is written to the church. It is presupposed that the audience is saved. They have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They are able to do these things. But we can't just sit back. The Holy Spirit is not a puppeteer. We cannot just sit and say, Okay, God, move me whenever you're ready. I'll be right here. Go ahead. Okay, it must not be time yet. This isn't the Christian life. This isn't how it works. We have a part to play. Sounds pretty difficult, doesn't it? It's close to impossible if you forget the therefore. Take a quick peek back in verse 3. The writer of Hebrews says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. Consider him. Look at what Jesus went through. I know somebody's thinking, well, yeah, but he was the Son of God. But he was human. Now, how many times have you had somebody come against you, be angry with you or something because you have done something wrong? Because you've sinned against them or just in public or what? You've gotten in trouble because you did something wrong. Anybody? My kids better raise their hands. Right? Now, how many times have you had somebody come up against you just because of your faith in Christ? Jesus didn't sin. Ever. Not a little. Not once when he was two. Never. None. So if you think about those people who come up against us because of our faith, you get just a little glimmer, a little, little glimmer of what Jesus went through when he had people beating him nearly to death, spitting on him, nailing him to the cross. See, because even if somebody is 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 coming against me because of my faith, I'm still a sinner. And somewhere I've probably said or done something to deserve their wrath. I am my father's son. <laughs> Jesus didn't deserve it. And he went through it. And why did he go through it? Let, let me read that verse again. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He didn't deserve any of it, and he put up with it all the way to death. On the cross, the most excruciating, terrible death mankind has probably ever come up with. He didn't deserve it at all, not even a little bit. And he did that for us. He did that so that we don't grow weary or faint-hearted. In chapter 11, we're told to consider the saints who went before us. Use their faith as an example for us in the face of persecution, in the face of torture, in the face of hatred and murder. Therefore, strengthen yourself for what is guaranteed to come. I love the United States. I absolutely positively love this country. I dedicated 20 years and seven days in uniform. And less than six months after I took the uniform off, I hired back on as civil service. And I'm still working for that United States Air Force. And I've got at least 13 more years before I can retire. I am proud of this country. But... We are home of some of the laziest churches on the face of the planet. Because we don't have, I do not have to worry about somebody from the government busting through that door and threatening me because of my faith. It doesn't happen here. Jesus promised that if you're living your life for Him, they're going to hate you. He didn't say if. He said remember when they persecute you. Remember when they put you out of the synagogue. When <laughs> when they hated me first. In chapter 10 we're reminded that the righteous shall live by faith. By the way, that's the verse that triggered the uh, the phrase that triggered the whole reformation to begin with. The just will live by faith. The righteous will live by Faith, faith that was purchased and paid for by Jesus, faith that is given to us and built and strengthened by the presence of the Spirit. We cannot live our faith out in our own strength. I don't have the strength to do it. I barely have the strength to go to work in the morning. I cannot do the things that are God's will for my life on my own. I have to rely on the strength of the Spirit. That's the necessary condition for our situation right now that we find ourselves in. The church that's asleep, the church that must have an awakening. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do it. We must allow the Spirit to convict us of sin. Whoa. I told you I was going to try to meddle. we have to let God convict us of our sin. We must accept the discipline of the Father. We must accept the persecution from the world. We have to. And we must use that strength that we get from the Father to keep going. And so... Back to our passage for today. Strive for peace with everyone. Cricket. I didn't hear a lot of amens with that. Strive for peace with everyone. Strive. (laughs) Okay, let me define everyone for you, okay? Everyone is that other political party. Everyone is those other religions. Everyone is those people that you work with that are so hard headed. Everyone is that one member of your family that you just can't stand to be in the same room with. Everyone strive to live at peace with everyone. And and I love I love that the, the, the word used there is and because you know what and means. It's a plus. It's, it's, these are, these go together, right? Strive to live at peace with everyone and strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That means those things go together. Living at peace with people and demonstrating holiness so that people can see the Lord go together. I know I've picked on social media a lot, and I'm not telling you to get rid of your Facebook account, but I tell you, there's a lot of church people who ought to have those two verses as a splash screen that comes up when they log in. Strive to live at peace with everyone. Live at peace. I'm not here to claim my rights. I am a representative of Christ. Did he claim his rights? When he was standing before Pilate and Pilate said, hey, they tell me that you claim to be the king of the Jews. Is that the truth? What did Jesus say? Did he, did he bow up on Pilate and say, yeah, that's right, I'm the king of the Jews. I'm the son of the very God who created you. And with the snap of my fingers, I could knock you dead right now. So you better listen. Is that what Jesus said? No, he did not. Jesus said, you say that it's true. If my Savior can take that position when somebody is in His face, shouldn't I? Now, are you familiar with the cliche that says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words? Anybody ever heard that? All right. So, first off, when you see that quote, if it's attributed to St. Francis, that's probably inaccurate because he belonged to an order that preached. (laughs) And so, (laughs) preaching the gospel is always necessary to use words. Okay, but the idea of that cliché is that the gospel should show in your life, not some fake self-righteousness, but genuine faith that makes people want to know what's different about you. Because when you respond in kind, that's what people expect. When you respond with venom, that's what people expect. Look how insightful that phrase is, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you're the only representative for Christ that people will see, would they want to become a Christian based on what they see in your life? Think about that before... See, we do a lot of life on autopilot. This world that we live in is a world that responds by emotion, not by logic, not by thought process, not by anything but the way we feel. And In fact, I have gotten on to some of my students on base because I'll ask them a question and their response is, well, I feel that I don't care how you feel... I want to know what you think. We need to be people who think. Not driven by our emotions because you know <laughs> follow your heart. That's a great piece of advice, isn't it? What does scripture say about the heart, Danny? The the heart is the uh, the heart is uh, help me out here. Deceitful and desperately wicked, I think is what it says. Right? Yeah, follow your heart, that's great advice. No, that's terrible advice. If somebody encounters you and you are the only representative of Christ, will your life make them want to know your Savior? That's a tough question. If the only way I interact with you is through social media, because we've all got, if you've got a social media account, you've probably got people that you only interact with via social media, right? If the only way I interact is through a Facebook timeline, will I believe that you live for Christ? Or will I believe that you live for the GOP? Or the DNC? Or pick another political group? Will I believe that you live for white supremacy or critical race theory or conservative patriotism or global socialism? Will I be able to see God at all in your Facebook timeline? And I'm not talking about just posting little little quotes. I'm talking about the way you interact. If the only way I see you is through that portal, what am I going to believe about your belief? Because we can't, we cannot make like that's not a real interaction in this world it is for many people that's the only interaction they get if you haven't figured it out yet the awakening of the church has to come from the people that are the church it will not start in nashville for those of you that are aware that southern baptist convention was is you know headquartered up there It's not going to start in Jackson at the state convention. It's not going to start in Gulfport at the Gulf Coast Association headquarters. Not because I don't believe that Steve and Dion and, and uh, 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 Grayson, uh, not because I don't believe that they're godly men, but that's not where our awakening needs to take place. Our awakening needs to take place here with every person that's in this room and anybody who's listening. It's up to each of us. Let me go back to the word here. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Who's he talking to? Did you all just read it? Did you hear it? It's an imperative. It's a command. The subject is implied. Let me put the subject in expressed. Okay? Okay? You see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. You who are reading this, the sense is that we bear a responsibility towards everybody in the church and towards those that we interact with to correct one another and to sharpen each other And in the context of living at peace with each other, we need to show that holiness is necessary. I am I am really happy that there is nothing that I had to do to be saved. The contribution that I made to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. That is it. Because if it depended on me at all, I would have failed and the better part of that is because it didn't depend on me, that means I don't have to try harder to keep it. God's not out there with the, with, the, with the fishing reel, you know, twitching that bait. And when I screw up, okay, never mind, it ain't your turn no more. That's not God. But I still have a responsibility even though i know god is not going to grab the rug and say okay i'm done with you no more you're you're not my child anymore even though i know that's not going to happen i still have a responsibility why 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 16 17 18 19 20, 20 22 24 25 26 27 28 29 30 31 50, five, four, 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 five, six, seven, four, eight, forty, nine, fifty, fifty one. Fifty one. So we got fifty two today, right? So I can say this because Danny had a surgery, because I have fifty two pairs of eyes. <laughs> Why do I have a responsibility? Because I have people who watch me and people who know that I claim the name of Christ. I have a responsibility to demonstrate God's grace to people. I wish I was better at it. Sometimes I'm not, especially if I'm in a car. Danny and I have that in common. <laughs> yeah, It doesn't matter. Think of how many times Jesus taught the disciples about forgiveness. Think about what Jesus told Peter. I mean, Peter of all people. Peter, my favorite disciple. Because if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me. I love Peter. Because you know when Peter said, Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? He had somebody in mind. You know he did. And he had a definite number in mind. He was like, tell me it's 10. Tell me it's 10 because I've forgiven him 10 times. But now we're coming up on number 11 and and tell me it's 10 because I'm done with this guy. We should be a person full of forgiveness. We should never hold a grudge. There's a lot of should there, right? I am not good at this. I'm getting better. We shouldn't hold somebody's sin against them. We've, (laughs) I know this is another one of those church cliches, but we've been forgiven so much. If somebody pokes a hole in us, we should spray forgiveness out like a water balloon. By the way, the next phrase talks about a root of bitterness or a plant that bears bitter fruit. You know what the best way is to keep bitterness out of your life? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. See, when I forgive somebody, I'm not telling them that they can go ahead and get away with it again. I'm telling them I'm not going to hold it here and use that to control the way I feel about them. I'm telling them I'm going to take that wrong that they did and I'm just going to chuck it out of my mind. Am I going to trust them and and be vulnerable with them again? Probably not nearly as much. When we hold a grudge and we hold people's sins and faults against them, we become bitter. And when we become bitter, we become defiled. We become polluted. And when we're polluted and defiled really hard to show holiness, right? I cannot demonstrate the cleanliness of my water after it comes through a water filter if I pour the water into a glass full of dirt. When we're bitter, it makes living a holy life even harder because when I'm bitter, I can't hear God. I'm too busy chewing on that other person's faults. I'm too busy running through my head on how they wronged me again. I'm too busy thinking about how disgusting their sin is and how abhorrent it is to me. And it's just, it makes me uncomfortable. And and as I'm doing that, I can't hear God because I'm listening to me. And when I can't hear the Spirit... It's kind of a a, a a self-perpetuating circle in the drain. When I can't hear God because I'm busy thinking about how much I absolutely despise somebody because of something that they've done to me and I'm not listening to God, that means I'm not hearing Him as He's trying to direct my steps, right? And if I'm not listening as He tries to direct my steps, then I'm not going to be walking the way He's telling me to walk, And if I'm not walking the way He's telling me to walk, that means I'm doing my own thing, which is probably sinful too, right? And then I have the guilt coming down on me because I know I'm not walking where God wants me to walk, and I blame that other guy, so now I'm more bitter towards Him. And then somebody posts something that really just lights my fire on Facebook. Or there's a news article that I read that just sets me on just, ooh, I've got to keyboard warrior and then somebody who is genuinely looking at me as a representative of the Christian faith is going to say why bother why what's the benefit what's the benefit of that Christian life if that's still how you act I can act that way without having to get up early on Sunday morning You finish up the verse here. See that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. How foolish could you be? I'm going to tell you something. It's about 10 minutes till. I had breakfast this morning at 6.30. My stomach's starting to growl. We get out in the parking lot. Everybody wants to talk. Normally to Steph because I just go get in the truck. And I sit there and I wait. And today it's going to be even worse because as soon as we pull out of this parking lot, we're going to stop at the house, we're going to load our suitcases, and we're going on vacation. And so y'all are going to want to go sit out there and talk and talk and talk and talk. And I'm going to go from being hungry to being hangry. And I'm going to sell my birthright for a meal because grace isn't going to be on my mind. See, it's amazing how quickly and how easily that can happen, right? I mean, we look at Esau and we're like, how could you be? So Esau had been out working all day long. He was hungry. He was desperate for a meal. He was just, he was hungry. And his brother wasn't going to share any food. And I mean, I never did this with my sister ever, I don't think, ever, ever if you give me what you have, I'll trade you something. Did we ever do that? I don't remember ever doing that. Normally it was, don't tell mom, I'll give you something. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Esau had a human desire, and he gave up his birthright because he was hungry. That won't help, and that won't happen to me, right? It could. Of course, you know that's that's uh, only part of the story. Remember what God said before Jacob and Esau were born. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I hated. Why? Esau hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't been born yet. Because God chose. Now, does that mean God hated Esau? Or that whole relative, you know, to the amount that he loved Jacob? I don't know. I'll put it on my list. But I'll tell you this, Esau was rejected before he had done anything. Jacob was chosen before he had done anything. Wasn't the actions of Esau that placed Jacob as the chosen heir. God had declared before their birth that, that was going to happen. The point of this is to make sure we don't live out a life of regret because of a moment of pleasure. You can take that wherever you want to take that. That could be because you struggle with lust. That could be because you struggle with gluttony. That could be because you struggle with all kinds of different things. The writer of Hebrews here doesn't want those in the church to regret our choices. How do you keep from regretting your choices? You live the holy life, right? In fact, he actually says that in verse 17, you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected and he had no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I'm going to broaden the scope on that just a little bit. I don't want somebody else to be denied an opportunity to repent because of my choice. I don't want to lead somebody astray because of my choice. And so, I'm going to go back to the beginning of this passage. Therefore, friends, strengthen your drooping hands and straighten your weak knees. There is work to be done in the church. We've got every age group in this room right now. The youngest, I'm not going to point out the oldest, probably Marty. (laughs) There's no age limit on this. There is no retirement provision. There is no scope that says, well, once you've you've been in the church for 25 years, you don't have to do this no more. There's none of that. There's work to be done. There's work to be done here. And I'm not talking about here in Biloxi, though there is work to be done in Biloxi. I'm talking about work here in this room right now. Because I know that there are a lot of us in here, and I'm not excluding myself, who need to renew that passion for God's Word, who need to renew that passion for prayer, Who need to renew that love for other people, both within and outside the church. Who need to repent for the way they've interacted with folks. And so I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. Danny doesn't often do that, but I'm different. I'm going to ask everybody to stand up.